So, how do you find and hire the perfect team? In this episode, featuring James Reed, the CEO of Reed Recruitment, he reveals all. Reed has organically grown to become one of the world's largest recruitment powerhouses. I'm sure you might have applied for a job on the site or even uploaded your CV there. So this is a rewind episode. We're continuing our series of the best of the best interviews that Rob has done over the past six years of the podcast. But don't worry, we've got new episodes coming very shortly. So let's just get straight into this with the CEO of Reed Recruitment, James Reed. But remember this, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything. Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. What does the word disruptive mean to you? It means going beyond the ordinary, going beyond the status quo. Not thinking in the conventional way, not just sort of following the herd. Disruptive means taking things up, you know? Disruptive entrepreneur is somebody who sees the problem and embraces the problem with a new way. Shake up and awakening. Quality will take care of itself and you'll go from being disruptive but also profitable. When you use your own reservoir of talent, when you love what you do, then you disrupt. Mix it up, change it up, and dominate. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. Hello and welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. It's producer Harry, again, here to give you guys the introduction to today's wonderful episode. So we have James Reed, who is the CEO and chairman of Reed Recruitment on the podcast today. Reed Recruitment is uh, the largest recruitment agency in the United Kingdom. So Reed Recruitment was founded by James's father, Alec Reed, in 1960. And in this episode, James reveals how he took over his father's company and he grew and scaled it to be worth over £1.1 billion. So we learn about James's career and how he got to where he is now. So he didn't always work for his father's company. He ended up after university doing a whole host of things which he talks about in this episode. So obviously Reed Recruitment, the biggest recruitment agency in the UK. If you're going to work for this company, you need to know how to hire the perfect staff. And James has an absolute wealth of knowledge in this sector. So if you are struggling in your business to find staff, keep staff, motivate staff, hire the perfect staff, this is the episode for you. It was an absolute pleasure to meet someone like James. It was an absolute pleasure to learn so much information from someone like James. Make sure you take notes, keep your ears listed. This is personally one of my favorite episodes. Also, we have a YouTube channel, Official Rob Moore. Go subscribe on YouTube to that channel. You can watch the video of this episode among with all our other interviews as well. So enough of me, let's get straight on to how we hire the perfect staff with CEO and Chairman of Reed Recruitment, James Reed. And remember, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything. I'm very excited to be here with James Reed. Thank you, Rob. It's good to meet you. And thank you for giving us your time. Very grateful. So, obviously, I have to do my research. It's very important. Although sometimes I like it to be not too researched, and I certainly don't like just using Wikipedia, but... Um, this is fascinating to me because it, and you can correct me if I've got any of this wrong, but apparently your first job was in a cemetery and then you worked for Anita Roddick and then you worked for Saatchi and Saatchi, pretty close here I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then the BBC 
Yeah. And then the family business. So, yeah, that's I'm, all true. Yeah, oh, that I've got that true. timeline. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that well, that's good. True. Uh, yeah. I mean, but that's an amazing journey. So can you just kind of just take us through that journey all the way back maybe to the present day and why you chose that route? Why didn't you just go straight to family? Lots of different types of jobs with different entrepreneurs. Yeah, well, I, I suppose I'm curious and I'm interested in learning and I'm interested in entrepreneurs and, and being entrepreneurial. Yeah. I mean, the job in the cemetery was a a quick job to earn some money before I went to college. Yeah. And um, it was pretty educational. It was hard work. It was in winter. The ground was hard. Yeah. And I had to level graves. Wow. And I remember it was by the River Thames down in Old Windsor, and it was a misty, misty um, graveyard. And, and I could see a figure coming through the tombstones towards me, and it was an old woman. And she said, at least you're not lonely here. And she asked me how I was getting on. <laughs> and, then, and then she wandered off into the fog. And I still don't know whether I've seen a ghost or a, yeah. or a joker, but either way, I remember it. And it was pretty educational because it made me realise at an early age, I was 17, that I didn't want to do hard physical work yeah. all my life mm. because it was really tough. And um, I enjoyed it for the time I did it, but I wanted to move on. And then the Anita Roddick, that was after I left college. I wrote, I wanted to work for an entrepreneur because I wanted to learn from entrepreneurs. I wrote to a handful she had just won Businesswoman of the Year. She'd started the body shop with her husband, Gordon. Yeah. They were running it as a husband and wife team. And it was down in Rustington in Sussex. And um, I was really impressed by her ethos, her sense of purpose, because it was all about not testing the products on animals, fair trade with the developing world. And, and she had a really strong message and brand. And I wanted to learn from her and also contribute to that, because mm. I thought it was a good thing to be involved in. Yeah. And I wrote to her, and she was kind enough to ring me back on a Saturday morning, because it was before mobile phones, obviously. And I was at home and said, "Do you want to come for an interview?" And that's how that started. Now, you do you still write to people? Letters. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Because I actually think that's a great way to communicate. Because if you think about it, we'll get a million emails, we'll get a million inboxes, but when you see an, an envelope land on your door and it's got a handwritten, um, you know, addressed to you on the outside, I think that's quite a Forgive the uh, use of the word disruptive, but quite a disruptive way to communicate with people now. I, I really agree with that. Yeah. And if, particularly if you're looking for a job or if there's someone you want to work for yes. or who you're interested in, that's a really good way of approaching them because their inbox will be bombarded with mm. messages and they might see it and then forget about it. I mean, that happens to yeah. us all because yeah. more coming on the top. But if you write to them, it tends to sit there mm. uh, and um, they're more likely to pick it up think mm. I've got to respond to this. So that's a good way to preempt a job application. Right. Because what I did with Anita Roddick was write to, she, she had a growing business, she had lots of problems that needed to be solved. And by writing to her, I effectively preempted the job ad that would have gone out for an assistant or yeah. a, you know, a specialist of some sort or other, um, and, and became a candidate of one rather than a candidate of 100. Yeah, and just someone who, I mean, I suppose a bit more normal then, but someone who actually takes the time to think like that and do something that's very personal in a world that's, automated at the moment. I think that's really important, the yeah. sort of human aspect of business mm. uh, and differentiating yourself as a, yeah. as a person is really important. Yeah. So any way we can do that, because the technology obviously connects us with many, many more people, but if we can come over as, as somebody yeah. with a personality and character, that's much stronger. Mm. Great. So after Body Shop, was it then Saatchi and Saatchi, or if I'm, is there a gap in the middle? Yeah, I went wandering around the mountains of Pakistan for a bit because <laughs> I like climbing and mountaineering. Yeah. I went trekking and, and yeah. spent some time up in the Hindu Kush in the Himalayas, which was quite instructive in another way because I became aware of the Afghan war and the refugee crisis. And when I came back, I started fundraising for that. Right. Yeah. But um, 
I then, came, when I came back from there, I did apply for a job at Saatchi and Saatchi. At the time, they were the sort of number one, uh, one ad agency, and I thought if I worked for them, I'd learn a lot about marketing and advertising, and it would be good fun. Yeah. And it was. And I remember my job interview, I was asked, what's 7% of 60? What did you answer? <laughs> I didn't get it right. I was close, but I didn't know how to calculate it. Yeah. 7% of 60 is easy to calculate if you know how to do it. 7.6 is 42, 4.2. Right, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. For anyone. so they were looking for people who were numerate. Because, I think I got four or something there about. Yeah. Because they were, it was media buying. And we were doing a lot of negotiating with big media owners, television companies, magazines, to buy campaigns for our clients. And it was a lot of money that we were responsible for. So numeracy was important. Yeah. I put that question in my interview book, Why You?, because it's useful for, you know, you, people will be asked numeracy questions. Do they have to get it right, or are you looking at the well, they gave me they, they, gave, they gave me the job, and I didn't get it right. Yeah. So, um, obviously, not in that case, but I think it's better to get it right than wrong. Yeah. I mean, if you get it right, you're going to probably get the job. Yeah. Mm. Are you allowed to get your phone out and work it out or not? That shows initiative. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It didn't have phones then, but it's probably better than getting it wrong. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, I'd love to come to all the interview questions in a moment, because I'm yeah. fascinated to talk about this. I've done hundreds of interviews and I just, actually, I know this sort of sounds a bit strange, but if I could get paid good money, I'd actually be a professional interviewer and just interview people all day, every day, because I find it fascinating and interesting and you, you get to, to see and meet people. Um, I don't do them so much anymore because, you know, when you grow your company, you've got to have a bit more of a, um, a, a sky view. So we'll come to that. So after such and such, is it then BBC? Well, no, I went to business school. Yeah, this was Harvard. Well, I worked, no, actually I worked, went to um, Pakistan and Afghanistan again. I worked as an aid worker. Right. And I did that for about a year. Yeah. And then I went to business school. Right, in Harvard. Yes. Yeah, and, Harvard. and you got an MBA there. Yes. And I'd never been to America before. Right. Um, I like the idea of going to America to study because I, I was excited by it as a place of learning about entrepreneurship, yeah. business. I mean, there's a great dynamism in America, yeah. whether you like it or not, yeah, it's yeah. impressive. I agree, yeah. Uh, and I wanted to have a, a dose of that. Right. And, and did it live up to the... Yeah, yeah. I was, a me- I was a dazzled by it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I still am, actually. It was always exciting landing in New York yeah. or Boston. I mean, I love going to America. It's always, there's a sort of energy about America that mm. is really infectious. And people love business in America. You know, there's a lot of entrepreneurs. People have a go. And I think that's really... You know, people are much less sort of critical of failure in yes. business in America. Yeah. And, and I think that's good. So I went there and, and, and I applied to Harvard because it was the one place I'd heard of, really. That, and I, I knew it would be good because it was a good reputation. Yeah. And it, was, it, was, it surpassed my expectations. It was really, right. But it was really quite tough. Yeah. And how old were you? you know, then? Uh, 25. Right. But yeah, you, you started class at half past eight. You started your study group at 20 past seven in the morning. You, know, you worked really hard mm. and you learned a lot. Yeah. And then you came back, and then was it BBC? Yeah, then I worked yeah. at the BBC in production. I loved that. Yeah. I, was, I was a trainee producer for a little bit and then got other jobs. So I worked on factual programmes, news programmes, documentaries. Mm. I did quite a few business programmes. You did a Tom Peters one? Yeah, I did. I did a yeah. Tom Peters I'm, film. I'm big into sort of personal development. And yeah, he was amazing. We did a leadership. film called Crazy Ways for Crazy Ways. In fact, that's what led to me leaving the BBC, because we did this project with Tom Peters. It was BBC Enterprises then. Yeah. And we sold um, this program around the world afterwards and made a million quid for the BBC, which was a lot in mm. the early 1990s. Did a lot you, now. Did you get much of that? None, really. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that, that's how it works. You yeah. know, I was an employee. Yeah. But what frustrated me is we went back to the pr- producers with another proposal for another project 
and they wouldn't give us any more money than they'd given us before. Yeah. Now, in, in business, it doesn't work like that. You know, if you've got a successful project or a successful person, you back them again. Yes, yeah, yeah. And you back them a bit more because you want to build your, yeah. um, your business. So that frustrated me, and, and it was that that made me start thinking about doing something else. But mm. I love my time at the BBC. It's a fantastic organisation. Yeah. And, and I did a really interesting programme about prisons as well, privatising right, prisons. Right, yeah. Which I would have never got access to those places. Yeah. So it was very um, yeah, enjoyable and educational. Mm. So there's yeah. a big theme of curiosity and learning all the way through. Yeah, I'm a, I, I'm a curious person. Yeah. You know, sometimes that gets you into trouble. but Yeah, but surely that's a, one of the best traits of an entrepreneur. I think it's really important. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's a, you know, what's actually happening here? What's driving people's behaviour? Yeah. What are people why? upset about? Yeah. Why is that the case? Why, why, why? Mm. You keep asking that question. Yeah. You get some more interesting answers. And I think it's important to be what I call a have-a-go hero. You know, try things. Yeah. They're not always going to succeed. But if with one thing you succeed, it's different to winning at roulette because yeah. it just keeps coming around. Yeah. You know, if you put it on 13, it wins. It keeps coming around yeah. if you're an entrepreneur. Yeah. So it's really, really important to try things. You said sometimes your curiosity gets you into trouble. What does that mean? <laughs> well, I mean, I'm quite adventurous. I mean, I like travelling. You know, when I went to Afghanistan, we were we were attacked by the Russians you know, from, from uh, uh, air raid. Uh, when I, I've been in the mountains, I've fallen and injured myself. So, you know, sometimes it, it can get you in trouble. And in business, you can lose money. Mm. Um, Have you had any business sort of failings or failures? Yeah, lots. Yeah, 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 maybe, yeah lots. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Let's save them to the end. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, they're, 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 the thing with a failure, I mean, if you're not having them as an entrepreneur, you're not really doing, you're not really being an entrepreneur, yeah. I don't think, because yeah. you, know, you can't expect every idea to succeed. Mm. But it is important to try ideas out. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and hopefully have enough that do succeed and learn from them as you go along to yeah. become better at choosing the right ideas and executing them well. Mm. But we've had a lot of you know, ideas around technology and trying new things that have not worked. And you know, we're not alone. There are masses and masses of people who have tried things. Yeah. Because you ask yourself the question, does this new technology enable a, a new approach to a service or business mm. offering? And sometimes, you know, we like to say, we like to say, read, if the bus looks like it's going somewhere interesting, we want to be on it. Yeah. But the joke is often you end up walking home. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, that goes with the turf. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. So we'll come to those failures in a moment. So we must now be getting close to when you joined the family business. Yeah, well, that was... That was uh, How old were you when you joined? Well, I, I'd sort of joined as a non-paid, non-exec when I was 20, well, 28. But I actually joined as a full-time you know, member of the team at 30. Right. So I'd had quite a lot of working experience before that. And what was the reason you didn't join the family business at 18 or 21? Yeah, good question. I, I'm not sure whether it was because I didn't want to or my father didn't want me. Probably yeah. a combination of the two. <laughs> yeah. you know, we improve, hopefully, with age. Yeah. Um, but the, the, I think I didn't join because I didn't really consider... I wanted to do my own thing. Yeah. And I wanted to, I wanted to you know, grow and do things elsewhere. Mm. But when I did join, I, I, I had a decision to make because I was at the BBC yeah. and I was doing quite well at the BBC. I was enjoying life at the BBC. A bit frustrated that they weren't going to invest in bigger projects for us. But um, my father said to me one day, there's a job I'm interested in, you know, you, if you'd be interested in doing it. And I was umming and ahhing and sitting on the fence. And he, said, he then said, that job I've been talking about, it's going to be in the Sunday Times on Sunday. Do you want it or not? <laughs> so you had to motivate you. <laughs> well, I had to make, yeah, forced a decision, really. Yeah. And, and so I thought, no, I don't want anyone else taking that job. Mm. Uh, and I took it and I haven't looked back, really. It was, I really enjoyed my time. 
Yeah. Both working with him personally and and and, and in read the business. Mm. And when did your dad uh, retire, step down, exit? Well, he he he, he retired as a director in two thousand and four. So he stood down as chairman in 2004, and I became the chairman of the group then. Um, I wouldn't say he's exited, though, because he's still a big figure in the business. You know, he's yeah. the founder of the company. He's yeah. age 85. He still works two three days a week, wow. comes into the office, and he has lots of ideas and suggestions, and he still helps me a lot. Yeah. So you know, he's still engaged with the business. I mean, it's his life's work, mm. and um, he loves the business. And, and the dynamic between you and your dad working together, how's that? It seems to work pretty well so far. The, the, the tip I'd give anyone thinking of working with a close relation <laughs> is, <laughs> yeah. is sometimes, you know, don't work in the same building. <laughs> yeah, <or> the same <laughs> country. Yeah. Yeah. Give yourself a bit of space. Yeah. I think that helps because you, know, you don't want to be asking, where are you going? What is yeah. you, doing? you don't want that. But, and so we've never actually worked in the same building physically. Right. Um, but we talk a lot. We see each other a lot. And, and I think we complement each other. Yeah. Okay, so what have you learned? So your dad's uh, Sir Alec? Yeah, 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 Sir Alec. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. what have you learned from your dad in business? Oh, I mean, more than I've got time to talk to you, Rob. Give I us mean, a few like, like More than I've learned from anyone. Uh, yeah, yeah. So he is my sort of um, teacher, yeah. primarily. And, you know, it started as a kid going into the office with him in my shorts and, and sort of meeting people. And so I grew up in a, what I call an entrepreneurial family. Yeah. So, you know, I joked to recruiters, you know, in our house when I was a kid, a, a perm in the 1960s was not a head. Yeah. It was a permanent placement. Yeah. And a PC was not a police constable. It was a permanent consultant. <laughs> yeah. You know, so recruiters know this stuff. So yeah. I sort of grew up with it. Uh, and... Um, He's an incredible man, my father, and he's very high energy. He's got lots and lots of ideas. So one of the things I, I would stress that I learned from him is he's always saying, you should have an idea a day right. and have a book and put them in it. Yeah. And I really like that challenge. Yeah. Have an idea a day. And it might be I'm going to go and eat somewhere different or contact a friend I haven't mm. seen for years. Or it might be something to do with your work. Yeah. Any idea a day or some new place to go on holiday. Yeah. Any idea a day, I think, is, is, is good advice. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Another one was really around people, that all business, all business begins and ends with people, which is why recruiting is so important, because mm. getting the right people into your organization is, is you know, game-changing. Yeah. And, and, and putting the time and energy into finding the right people, engaging them, and ensuring that your team is a strong team is really, really important. Yeah. So... Next question, because you also have yeah. an MBA at Harvard, which is impressive. Yeah. And people often say, oh, you need to go to university and get a degree. And then a lot of entrepreneurs say, no, you need to learn on the ground. You've done both. You've done up to 30, mm. being curious and working in the, the ventures you wanted to. Then you joined the family business. And in the middle of that, you got a degree. So you're one of the very rare people, I think, alive, who's done it all. You've got your own journey, traditionally educated at Harvard, and a family business. So let's do MBA at Harvard versus running your own business and learning from your dad. What's the difference in those and which one taught you the most? That's a really good question. Sorry, uh, it's a long one. <laughs> no, it's a really good question. Well, what's funny is when I, I got accepted to go to Harvard and, and went off to Harvard, and you know, what happens next? My, my dad applies to do a course there as well. Oh, really? So he turns up, you know, so wow. he does a, a course for entrepreneurs at yeah. Harvard do called the Owner President's Programme. So we, we overlap there a bit, which was actually quite good fun. Yeah. So he left school at 16 with a, you know, a few O-levels, as they were, 
um, and didn't have a university education. I was the first member of our family to go to university. Wow. So, but interestingly, he was really, he was really big on education. I thought yeah. it was really important, still does. And, and, I, and he learned at night school to become an accountant at the insistence of his mother, I think. Right. But that, he's always said that's a really good training for business. Yeah. And he wanted me to do accountancy. I did do an interview and I got rejected by Price Waterhouse, I think it was at the time. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't a good candidate. Right. And they made the right decision. Yeah. But I was quite interested in learning about business and I thought an MBA would suit me better, yeah. which is why I applied to go to Harvard. The difference is, <clears throat> I suppose when you, when you study, when you study at a university, you consider a lot of ideas, you, you see a lot of other people's experiences, but you're not actually doing it yourself. And you're not actually trying to lead or manage people yourself. Yeah. And it's all very well having a theory, but try and put it in practice. Yeah. And I've learned that, you know, since. Mm-hmm. It's sort of trying to take people with you, create a common purpose, build energy around whatever you're doing. Yeah. That doesn't come out of a case study or a no. textbook. And that's really human. And, 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 and that's what I learned from my father. Mm. And is it possible? Because I, I know a lot of, you know, very successful business people have gone to Harvard to get that MBA, is it possible to run your business and do that degree simultaneously? Because you said it's a lot of work. Yeah, one of my classmates was a woman who had twin, young twin boys and a full-time job. I don't know how she did it. I still, wow. I still don't know how yeah. she did it. Yeah. For me, it was sort of a brain stretch just doing the MBA. Yeah. Um, I think it is possible. I mean, there are different types of MBAs that you can do correspondence or shorter courses. I mean, the MBA has become you know, quite widespread. Yeah. So I think you can, you can choose things that might suit your circumstances better. I think the experience I did suits people in their late 20s, early 30s yeah. at that stage in their career. Right. And Harvard have other courses for people who might be more advanced in their careers that are shorter, and yeah. perhaps more suited to more senior directors. I'm fascinated by growth. I think that, you know, as entrepreneurs, we seem to be obsessed by growth. It's also a bit of a paradox because chasing growth for the sake of growth can be somewhat of an empty pursuit, yet we can't help it. Uh, And, um, you know, I think, was it about 150 million, roughly the size of the business when you joined and now it's 1.1 billion? So you must have been very partly responsible for that major growth and the globalization of it. So can you sort of talk us through how you grew Reed? Well, I think it's really important you know, to be growing, I suppose. I mean, our strategy is very simple. It's to grow organically. So we haven't grown it by acquisition. And I say to people in our business, there are only two ways you can grow organically. One is through exceptional service, and the other is through innovation and new ideas. Right. So that's, yeah. that, those are the two ways we've grown. The, the, to, talking through each in turn, the exceptional service. You, if you can deliver a good service to people that they appreciate, they will come back and they will also recommend you to other people. Yeah. So we've done, I hope a lot through that. Yeah. And we take that very seriously. And then, as I mentioned before, an idea a day, innovation is really a big part of our DNA as, mm-hmm. an, as an entrepreneurial family and business. Yeah. So we're always looking for new ideas and we're always asking people for their ideas. Yeah. And, um, and we will try new ideas. So some of those ideas have succeeded and some have failed. Mm. But the combination over time has led us to where we are today. Right. And we will continue to pursue that strategy. So maybe we don't grow as fast as some people who bolt on other businesses. And but, why you know, don't like you, a why tree that grown. We tried it once and we got uh, very good at it. <laughs> and but we, we all had a bad date one day. We didn't yeah, yeah. stop going back there. <laughs> no, that's true. But we found a better way of doing it. Right. Us, that suits us. Well, I suppose those, more seriously, 
Um, if you're an entrepreneur or run your own business, if you're starting to have to raise money to make acquisitions, you are going to dilute your shareholding right. to a point at which you might not control that business. So can't you uh, acquire through cash flow just by every few years? Yeah, potentially you can. Yeah, you can if you yeah. feel that's better than growing your own operations. But we chose through cash flow to reinvest in our business. Yeah. So you right. could. So you, you raise external so, cash. So I, I, I'm so nervous about debt. Yeah. Because I, I, I'm nervous about losing control. Mm. So that's why I partly pursue this strategy and wouldn't go on an acquisition spree. Yeah. The other thing that's worth mentioning, in our sector, in service businesses, they're all people businesses. Mm. You can buy a recruitment business and everyone who works in it can walk out the door the next yeah. day. Yeah. It's not like you're buying a factory somewhere with the capital and machinery yeah. sort of bolted to the floor. Yeah, you can't so, the people to the <laughs> no, floor. No, you certainly can't. No. So that's high risk. Yeah. And if you look at the history of acquisitions, I think, what is it, 80% lose value for shareholders? Wow. So if you're, your own, if you're an owner-manager, you don't want to lose value for your shareholders. No. You're hurting yourself and your family. Yeah. So you have to be really good at acquisitions. Some people are. Yeah. But over, if you look at the long-term history of business, most acquisitions result in shareholder value going down, right. not up. And what, what you say, you tried it and it didn't work for you. What didn't work when you tried it? We bought, bought a healthcare recruitment business. Well, it was like 20 years ago almost now. And, and it was a perfectly good business, but the market changed. People moved on. And, you know, when I look back at it, I thought, well, we could have done better with that money. Yeah. So we still have a healthcare business. Right. And, and, it, and it's perfectly successful, but we had one before. This made it bigger and we're probably back to where we were before. Yeah. So I don't think it was, it didn't, it didn't carry us forward in our journey. Yeah. And when you say organic growth, you said you gave us the two ways to grow organically. Does that mean you're not spending on marketing or, or just? Oh, no, 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 no. it doesn't. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, organic growth means you grow like a tree from yeah. the ground up. And, and those are the only ways. I, I mean, if you've got other ways of growing organically that you can share with me. Well, I want on your podcast. I want to <laughs> yeah. know them. Yeah. I want to know them. But yeah. no, we spend a lot on marketing. So we reinvest in the business all the time. Yeah. But if, if you, the analogy might be, I've used in the past, it might be if you want more orange juice, there are only two ways of getting it. You can squeeze your oranges harder to get more juice out of the oranges you've already got. Yeah. Or you can plant some more orange groves. Yeah. So the, so, so the service helps you get more out of what you've got. But the ideas and innovation is all about planting new orange growth. Yeah. To give you more orange juice. Mm, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I speak to so many entrepreneurs who are in the paradox I'm going to set to you. And then hopefully you can give us some ideas. So, you know, they may have one or two outsourced staff or none. And they're really busy. And they're juggling a couple of businesses. Maybe there's a lot of single parents who are in this situation they're doing well, but they've maxed their own time out and they're like, right, I need to hire staff. But then like, I don't think I can afford it. I don't want to manage people or I just want someone to come in and do a proper job and leave them to it. And then they leave them to it and then they don't do it properly. Then they get annoyed with them. I don't have time to manage them and train them. The whole point of having a staff member is not to manage them and train them. It's so they can just do the bloody job so I can grow. And they get stuck in that little sort of one man band paradox. Um, you've obviously grown a company to a turnover of 1.1 billion and you're obviously not doing all those hours yourself. You must have a big team. So how does someone mindset and skill set go from struggling with recruiting to building a team? That's a really, I mean, I, I've come across this a lot. Mm. And it's a really it's common, it's an important question. Mm. I, I, I think that the Put the time in, firstly. I, I know it's difficult when you're running to just keep still almost. Yeah. 
But you need to put the time in both into to what you're looking for, what would really be helpful for your business, and, and what sort of person would be the yeah. answer. And, and I would say, I mean, I recommend to people, you should try going temporary to permanent. So we right. call it temp to permanent. Yeah. So hiring someone on a temporary basis, uh, but putting time into them to make sure that mm. you understand each other is a really good way of doing it because it, you get to know each other through that process. And if it's a temporary contract, you can always say, well, this is going to end at the end of March or you know, we, we've only got three weeks left. And there are no hard feelings. Yeah. Um, but if you love each other and the, the matches are well made, you can make it more permanent. Yeah. So I think temporary to permanent is a really good way of, of growing a business. Yeah. And there are lots of good people who want to work flexibly. Mm. Because from the, from the candidate's point of view, they don't know either whether yeah. you know, this it's entrepreneur is someone they yeah. want to you know, yeah. you know, align their career that. with in a little business. Is it, is it well, they take a risk work? on you. If you're a small company and you're not established... Yeah. They think if I got job security. Yeah, so you're both taking a risk a bit. Yes. That's a good way of... I mean, sometimes, though, people won't be available. But yeah, mm. a lot of people want to work flexibly now, and it suits them. So mm. if, that's, if, it, if it's made very open at the beginning, we'll try this out on a temporary department basis. Yeah. I think that's a, a, a good way of doing mm. it. So we certainly learned that being really clear on the kind of person we want and really clear on their roles and creating a really good job description and a really good job ad, that was all really important in qualifying who we got. But still, the entrepreneur who's really busy listening to you say that, James, is like, oh, I don't want to have to spend ages because I've got to be selling. I've got to be selling, selling, selling. If I stop selling, I'm going to lose money. So we need to invest time to find the right person and train the right person. But we're busy selling, selling, selling. So how do we get over that paradox? Well, I suppose you have to take them with you for a bit, literally, probably. (laughs) Sit next to each other or go off in the van together, whatever it is. Um, but then I think you have to delegate, mm. and you have to. That's a bit of courage involved in that, sort of stepping why, back. Why and, courage? You know this well because you don't know whether that person's going to be up to it, yeah. as good as you, or represent you in a way yeah. that you'd be happy with. But if you've given them a bit of time and input before, yeah. you should be more confident than if you just found a stranger and said, "I want you to go and sell my services yeah. to you know the, your customers." So. Mm. I think your know, delegating is really key to this. Yeah. And and a key business lesson I've learned is you know the key to success is finding good people and letting them get on with yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I heard Bill Gates, John DeMartini, who's one of my mentors, basically say similar, and they added one in. So it was find really good people, give them slightly too much to do because I think really good people mm. bored is a bad recipe. And then get out of their way. So I think that's a, a similar yeah. thing. And I think that's an improvement. Uh, right, yeah. Too much to do. I think yeah. that's slightly a too much to do. Yeah. <laughs> no, everyone wants yeah, to do that. Yeah, Lawrence is like, <laughs> no thanks. Oh, that's yeah. a very good improvement. Yeah. I know one of Bill Gates is where he is. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's, a, that's good advice. Yeah. And, but that can be emotionally difficult, you know, for a lot of us. Of our companies are like our families, yeah. you know, or our children. What if they know, say but... and do something wrong? What if they lose a client? <laughs> the clients all want to speak to me. They've got used to the service with me and I've got to hand yeah. it over to this person. But every entrepreneur has gone through that. Yeah, and then the, and the clients know that you're, you should know that you're still there and that you're, yeah. you're standing behind the service. I think it's really important that clients can pick up the phone to you. Mm. You know, our company's 60 next year and it's had two chairmen in its history. And, it, and I think that's good yeah. because, you know, people, if they want to reach out and complain or make a suggestion or whatever it is, they know who to call. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's important to be accessible. Um, I, the, I do. Um, I can't remember who I learned this from, but it was a few years ago when I kind of stepped out a bit. But I was still a very 
naive entrepreneur and I thought, well, stepping out means stepping out. And I, I now know how to let go. So I'm letting go of everything. But then you could become a bit distant and cold in your company. And someone um, said that he picks up the phone and he just randomly calls clients three or four times a week to see how they are. And the day said that I thought, I'm doing that too, because that sounds cool. And I just probably four or five calls a week, just randomly pick it up. And they're like, wow, I can't believe I'm speaking to you. And it does a lot of really good will. And they tell you stuff about your company you do not know. That's really true. So I, one of the things I like to do is visit our offices. And just some, Sometimes I turn up. But if I go by appointment, I always want to go and visit some clients. Yeah. And, and, and it's really inspiring. I mean, you find, I love visiting other people's businesses mm. because they're always doing amazing things. They've got lots of ideas of their own. It's so enriching to do that. Yeah. And, and, and it helps us improve our service. And, and I enjoy it. Yeah. I really enjoy doing that. So I think if, if you like what you do, so being engaged with clients is a really good idea. Yeah. yeah. So delegation has come to that because that is like the simplest word in the world to say. But I believe it's one of the hardest things for people to do. The fear of them messing up, you know, the fear of them stealing the clients or, you know, setting up in competition. You train them up so well, they leave. And people who have all these fears don't realise every entrepreneur has to go through that. So and those things happen. They do. Yeah, yeah they yeah. do. And, and, and if you net, can, net, we'll yeah. take you further yeah, forward. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, you might have a thousand that don't mm. and 35 or 40 that do. Um, but how do you properly delegate, bearing in mind all those real fears that entrepreneurs have? Because it's not just like, I'll go Well, I'm this. not just saying this because I'm Reed, but I think it comes down to recruiting well. Right. You know, finding good people and yeah. putting the time and energy and effort into doing that. I think that's really, really important. And, yeah. and you know, we've done lots of research. I did a book about the importance of mindset at work and how mindset trumps skill set. Right. And we asked employers all around the world, you know, if, if you could have one person with what we call the a winning mindset, the 3G mindset it was, which was open you know, integrity and kindness over people who were just ordinary workers. How many ordinary workers would you trade for one with a winning mindset? Do you know what the average score was? 4.2. Seven. <laughs> seven. So employees wow. all around the world said they, they would trade seven people, or you know, regular yeah. sort of members of the team, wow. for one who, who had a winning mindset. Yeah. So you know, it's all about that, you know, because we don't know what jobs we're going to be doing in a decade's time, or we don't know, you know what skills are going to be most in demand. Yeah. But your mindset is, is critical, you know, being able to grow and adapt and change, yeah. being honest and having integrity, and, and having real grit, being resilient. That's mm. really important. Mm. So those qualities that seem to be the ones that people really look for. Yeah. Now, I'm from Peterborough. Nice place. Yeah, it is. But the talent pool isn't always streaming like in Silicon Valley or in London. So we have these lovely um, ideals of having people with this winning mindset. And then sometimes you put a job out there and you get three applications and you you need to hire in the job. This is what you've got. So, so, you know, what if you're limited in who you can find? Have you called us in Peterborough? Uh, maybe we should. <laughs> We've got two offices. You've done there. well to wait this long to pitch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could help. That's I'm sure we sure. probably We've got two programmes there. Well, we're we? spending six so, figures a year on recruitment fees. Uh, we'd so love we'd, to help, Robert. We must be using you. <laughs> but, but I suppose, yeah, I think looking for mindset when you're hiring is, is, is something to really take into account. Because yeah. you know, when you look for skills, sometimes people can look great on paper and have all the right skills. Yeah. But maybe they haven't got the right mindset or desired mindset. And how do you find that out? 
But you have to you have to inquire. Right. <laughs> and well, you, can, you inquire by the questions you ask, yeah. and, and you can inquire by researching them, yeah. and you can inquire by the references you collect. Often asking for references is a really good way of finding out more about someone. Right. But you need to do it over the phone. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to come to that. Mm. So we'll end this live. And have you got a question for the live? Yeah, let's take one. Okay, this great. And then Kelly Forster. So this is for you, James. <clears throat> What's the biggest challenge you've come against and what were the lessons you learned? That's a good question. I've had lots of challenges. I mean, the biggest challenge I came across was in the financial crisis of 2008-9, you know, the banks going bust. And that was a big challenge for us because we had all our money in two banks, both of which had the name Scotland in the title. <laughs> as it I think appeared. we can guess. <laughs> as it appeared, were effectively yeah. you know, looking like they were going to be insolvent. And I, and I rang our finance director in that, early that morning and said, where's the money? Because we have to pay our temporary workforce every Friday. Yeah. Uh, and... Um, and, and um, it was apparent that if these banks went down, we would not be able to pay 20,000 people on Friday. Wow. Which would have destroyed our business because yeah. we've never missed a payroll. Yeah. So what did I learn? I learned that cash is the oxygen of business. You know, you can survive without food for quite a long time. <laughs> yeah. You can survive without water for quite a long time, but no oxygen, you're dead in three minutes. Yeah. So cash is the oxygen of business. And... Um, and I never thought I'd have to do this, but we've done it ever since. We've spread our cash around more than one bank. So, yes. you know, because you My never know what's going to happen. Obsessive yeah, you know, I was, yeah. Told, I was told these institutions are rock solid, but they weren't. Nothing's rock yeah. solid. No. So you need to spread your risk. There's also security risks now, isn't there? Yeah. yeah. So that would be one lesson. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. Thanks, Kelly. Mm. So we'll end this live. Yeah. Uh, if you want to watch more, though, we're going to go live on LinkedIn in a moment. So thank you. So now we're going to get into all the recruitment juice. Was that for LinkedIn? Yeah, 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 for LinkedIn, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, LinkedIn, yeah. my friend. Yeah. Uh, you, you must be well connected with LinkedIn, I guess. With I've got quite a lot of connections on LinkedIn. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We know them quite well. Yeah. I mean, LinkedIn is, is, is both a sort of resource. I mean, it's everything. It's a competitor. Yes. It's a source of candidates. Right. So some you know, collaboration. It's interesting how business is now. Everything overlays. Yeah. You can be all sorts of things in a relationship. You can. And I mean, all the big companies now, they want to be everything, don't they? I mean, yeah. um, Facebook are launching a currency. They, they're giving me um, like functionality to promote that next week. They, they kind of all want to be everything. Mm. They all want to be big media companies, don't they? Yeah, Facebook bought. I don't know how their well, I don't know how their currency is going. Yeah, I think it's early days. Mm. They, I think they just want to keep you on their platform. I'm going to say one which is a bit of a bugbear of mine, and it's absolutely nothing personal because I think you're fantastic. But the fees we pay recruitment companies, OMG, we pay huge recruitment fees, um, and it, in, I don't know why, but um, we've we, when we started hiring candidates who are earning over hundred grand, the percentage goes up. But I would have thought, shouldn't the percentage come down the, the, the more you spend with a recruitment company? So I'm not, okay, I'm moaning a bit, but I'm not. Um, but ha- what justifies a recruitment company charging 15%, 17.5%, you know, decent money? Sure. No, that's a very fair question. Yeah. And, and, you know, you can always negotiate your fees. Yeah. But I do say to people who try and negotiate us right down that you should be careful because if you, if you get a recruiter to work for you at a very low fee, where are they going to send their best candidate? 
not going to be the higher paying. Yeah, it's not going to be you, is it? So, yeah. so that that and and the, the the there is a huge behind the scenes investment to run a recruitment business. And yeah. we've got three and a half thousand people in our business. Right. We we we, wow. we spend you know, twenty million a year on marketing and advertising. We spend millions a year on IT. We've built a database of 18 million people. Wow. So there's a lot of investment and time and effort put into that shortlist, you would yeah. see, or should be. And you know, all the best and biggest recruiters in the UK use our website, read.co.uk. Yeah. And they all use it because there's, it's, it's like a great recruitment engine. There's a lot of traffic, a lot of applications, and there are a lot of people registered and available to search. Yeah. So there are different ways you can recruit. But if you're paying a, a, a big fee, you should expect a really good service, a really strong shortlist, and ultimately a really good hire. Mm. And, and you know that's what we should be measured on. Yeah. And, and the difference between hiring someone who, who's fantastic and hiring someone who's a disaster can make or break a business. Oh, huge. And, and yeah. you, know, you never know that when you make the, no. the offer or the decision. But recruiters can be really good partners to businesses. Yeah. And if you have a good recruiter alongside you that you get to know each other, they know your business, they know your business culture, they know what you're looking for. Mm. That's, that's a really important business relationship for any company, I would suggest. Yeah. And make the most of it. Mm. But all commercial you know, deals are yeah. discussed, aren't they? Sure. But yeah. I hope you're getting value for money, Rob. Um, well... If you're not... Yeah. <laughs> the, the reason I, I pause is because... I um, our head of HR really heads up our recruitment drive, so I actually couldn't be accurate to say whether we are or we aren't. But we do track where we get all of our candidates, and the top for, for finding candidates and retention is recruitment agencies, as opposed to recommendations or you know other job sites and other ways to recruit. So it, it clearly has got many of our best people who've been with us ten years plus. And we've only been going in business twelve or thirteen have come from recruitment agencies. So, so yeah, so if you think back, to think about one of those great people. If you reflect on what they've contributed to your business and what you paid as a fee eight, nine years ago, is that still a problem for you? I see what you did there. I see what you did there. <laughs> no, but seriously. No, it's, it's not a problem. Yeah. No. It's, and I do agree of the difference between price and value. Um, and I have changed my tune on money because I think, you know, when you start a business, if you study enough, Plenty of entrepreneurs say, stay lean, stay lean, stay lean, keep your overhead low. Um, you know, don't rank, uh, you know, ramp up your fixed costs and all these things. So Mark and I really took that. And so, you know, big recruitment fees worried us. So we did hire people we knew. Um, and that was really good when we were young. It got started quickly. But ultimately, people we knew, friends, family members, other than my mum, they're not the people who stayed with us forever. And, and that's not always ended well. Um, so that's definitely my lesson that we've got our best staff from recruitment companies. But also, um, it's not a guarantee, though, is it? Certainly not. No. no. I mean, a lot of recruiters will give you a period of sure. you know, rebate. Yeah, period they do. School. Yeah. So, yeah. So, and that can run six months a year for some of those most senior jobs. Yeah. But um, no, it's no, it's not a guarantee. But they should be fishing in a bigger pool yeah. than your friendship group or people yeah. you know in the name. Yeah, well, that was just us going direct. Yeah. And yeah. they should be fishing. And, and, and if you're clear about what you're looking for, they should be able to give you a good yeah. shortlist. And by the way, that is a bit of great learning for us. Yeah. You know, when you're desperate to hire, you're just like, oh, someone who can do the job. But being really clear on the skills you need them to do, or maybe on some of the character traits, really good qualifying job ad, really good, clear job description. That was stuff we never did for years. And actually, funnily enough, 
the person who brought those systems into our business was somebody who'd for, worked for a big corporate. And where right. did we get her from? A recruitment agency. So I just... So she's added a lot of value. Yeah. You've got that. I just see how much we're paying for recruitment mm. companies on, in our, our management accounts and go, I mean, look, it's our responsibility ultimately because if we keep the retention high and we don't lose staff, then obviously we minimise those fees. But, but the other sort of confusion, if that's the right word, that can occur is people look at what they're spending with recruitment companies. It can be a large number if they're using temporary workers. Yes. But most of that money is going on wages and taxes. Mm. The oh, recruiter's we, yeah. getting a little yeah, margin. We've, at the we've top. got a line item of Yeah, yeah. So, you know, so some people can think, look, oh, these agencies, they're taking all this. But actually, you know, they might be supplying a, a substantial workforce yeah. who are being paid through them. So mm. that's the other thing to make sure is, is, is clear. Yeah. So another revelation for us was, um, you know, we always used to go for, you know, being quite um, hard on the salary negotiation. And I found that you pay someone 20% more, they could be 500% better. Like, and so now when we recruit, we look through all the pay ranges. You think, oh, okay, we'd pay 35 for this. Well, actually, we'll look at someone who's 28, 35, 50. And we'll even interview someone who's 100 because then you get a good context. Would, would that be something? Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's a good way of thinking about it. If you, if a lot of recruiters maybe haven't got the flexibility you have as an owner-manager of a business to do that because they might be told the range for this job is between yeah. 35 and 40 or whatever. Yeah. But if they, can, if, they, if they can increase the range, it increases their options. Because mm. if someone walks through the door who wants 45 and they're brilliant, yeah. why not take them? Because yeah. I've always thought good people pay for themselves. Yes. You know, if you get a yeah. good person and then... You know, that should be like the tagline under your, <laughs> under your business <laughs> yeah. name. Well, I really yeah. think that. Good people pay for themselves. So yeah. if you see a good person, they cost a bit more. Why wouldn't you? you know, it's like any investment. Yeah. You take them if they're going to mm. pay for themselves. So I think that's, that's, that's important. Yeah. Uh, and of course, retention. It's huge. Um, um, I've been mentored by James Kahn and I know him well. And he said to me um, in the early days of meeting him, and I couldn't wrap my head around this, but he said he reckons that the average hire will cost you over £20,000. I was like, whoa, what do you mean? He said, well, you've got the recruitment fee, yeah, but you've got the months that the staff member who left that you're replacing was disengaged and therefore not productive. Then you've got all the training and onboarding of the new member until they get in role. And that could be three months end, three months start, or that could be a year end, a year start. And when you roll all that in, just think it's over 20 grand to have a new staff member. What do you think about that? Well, an interesting number to put on it. It depends on what job they're doing, I guess. Mm. But yeah, I think that's that's potentially no, I mean, true. That, that, is, that was- And it, and it, and it Gets your attention. Yes, it does. It gets your attention, and that's right that it should have your attention. Yeah. I think retention is really important. If you've got people, I, I hate it when people leave yeah, our company. I, I feel they take I a bit do. of the company with yes. them. So tre- trying to keep people is really important. Creating a culture where people are engaged, feel happy at work, you know, included, yeah. is, is really important. And, and we put a lot of energy into that. Yeah. In now, you say those very clear, specific <laughs> words. I don't want people to just think... To, that, the oversimplification. So you said engaged, happy at work. They're such simple words, but I think they have a lot of depth to them. I'm a massive believer that if someone enjoys coming to work and we all know we have to do things in our job that we don't like, you and I are no different. There's this fantasy that, oh, when you're at the top of the company, you don't have to do anything you don't like. I think that's a fantasy. But people, yeah, yeah, there you go. Take it from us. It's a fantasy. We all have to do things we don't like in order to you know, get the results that we want. Um, but I'm a massive believer, if someone enjoys coming to work, you've, you've done half the battle. 
Yeah, you've got to love Mondays. That's yes. my next message. Ah, yes. <laughs> so yeah. that, that's what we're all about. I always say to people, you know, if you're not happy in your job, we can help you. Yeah. And, and you know when our website is busiest? I just gave you Sunday. Uh, Mondays. Oh, Monday. Yeah, <laughs> Mondays. I was just trying to be smart. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's busiest Mondays between 10 in the morning and 2 in the afternoon. Because they're, they're coming. And that's goes to your retention point. I say this right. to our client. You know, your people are coming into work. If they're not happy, they're straight on our website. And they're looking for another job. So, yeah, yeah. So, you know, so it's that easy to look for another job. Yeah, the second is. busiest day is Tuesday. And actually, I think the quietest is Saturday because people are enjoying the weekend. Yeah. And then it starts up again on Sunday. Right. So <laughs> so I know why you love Mondays. <laughs> yeah, I love Mondays. But I think it's important that we all, I mean, we only live once. And, 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 and life is short. Mm. And it's important that we enjoy our work. And I think there's enjoyable work out there for everyone. Sure. Okay, let me challenge you on that if it's okay, though. Mm. I, I do agree with all of that. Um, but if I look at a CV and someone's had a job every two years for 20 years, and maybe you can educate me on this, they've got to do some massive proof to me that, that they're worth hiring. Because I don't want someone who's going to work for two years. I want someone who's going to work for 10. So having that attitude, well, you know, if you're not happy, leave because life is too short and you get a job every two years. I create quite a, a strong debate about this on LinkedIn and people are quite polarized about this. I think modern workers, you know, move more. If I see a job, a, a candidate hopping every 18 months to two years, I don't think I'm interested. Well, it depends what the reasons are. And, and you know, and I think it, you should probe the candidate. We, we, we do. <laughs> and it but, might be for yeah. good reason. It might be. And, <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting word. <laughs> you want to really find. I mean, interviewing <laughs> is finding out as much as you can about someone. And there yeah. might be reasons you, that they've moved location or they've decided they wanted a career change. or Every 18 months or two years for like 10. But, and it also depends on what job it is. So this is a good opportunity for a temp-to-perm arrangement. Right. So, you know, get them in, see how they are. Yeah. And, and if, they, if you want to make them permanent, do, and if they want to stay. But yeah. I, I can see that. That is problematic. We, yeah. As recruiters, we all see that as a problem. Right. Because, yeah. And I think that's yeah. important to say to people, because yeah. the culture is very much vagabonding, travel. You don't have to be committed. You know, people talk about the millennial and, and other generations. But if you're saying, I mean, if you're saying... 10 times at two years. You, this is someone who's had a 20-year career doing this. Yeah. You know, it's not like someone in their 20s who's just graduated or just finished school no, and who's this, trying a few things. Yeah. Because I think that's important that people do Agreed. try a few things. And if they're looking for career progression each time. Yeah, and you, you start wondering, why is this person not found their sort of yeah. vocation or something they really enjoy or a company? Or mm. Why is it they keep... You know, and I sometimes, then my sceptical nature starts to think, well... Yeah, I remember my mum saying to me once when I was not really having much luck with women and I, I'd, I'd sort of I set my mum down and basically said, Mum, there's no good women in Peterborough. I seem to be going out. You're giving s- Peterborough a tough I time. I know, I am. But I live there, so it's all right. I seem to have, um, and I said this, this is bad, but I said, said Mum, I seem to have like psycho after psycho after psycho after psycho. And she said, well, what's the common denominator? Mm. Of course, it was me. Uh, your mum sounds fantastic. Yeah, yeah. She's stayed yeah. with you in the business. She's given you good advice. She's awesome. Asking your mum for feedback is good advice. Yeah. They know yeah. you better than anyone else. She, yeah, she did. <laughs> and, and I can't help but think that in, in someone who has a lot of different jobs, that it can't be that company or that company or that company. It must be something in them. Well, they should start looking in the mirror. It's the first chapter in my book. Right. And, 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 and ask themselves some serious questions about yeah. who they are, who they want to be, and how they're going to become that yeah. person. Because mm. I actually think the wrong move, I know someone very well who's a salesperson and he's moved a couple of times, you know, for the, the higher allure of an earning. And actually it's probably playing snakes and ladders, put him down to the start of his career. Well, not the start, but probably lost him five years in his career. Well, I would say, you know, changing jobs can be 
you know, a lot of people have not had a pay rise for a long time, you know, a decade in some instances, wow. in real terms. You know, if you look across the British, God, I wish that was the same British economy. economy. <laughs> yeah. It's true. But, and, and so to get a pay rise, often people have to change jobs. They have to move to a new job, guys. Hey, wait a minute, James. <laughs> See, they're laughing behind the cameras. Yeah. So, so if I can negotiate for the working, uh, working He's people... He's been with me six months already <laughs> pitching me. Is he? Oh, yeah. Shocking, shocking. Yeah. A bit more time. Yeah. But, but, but more seriously, if you want to get a pay rise, you know, typically look for another job. And you just said the other side of this argument. If you want good people, you have to pay a premium. Yeah. So because the, you know, talent is in short supply, we've got record levels of employment at the moment. You know, that's what's going on. Yeah. So companies are realizing to grow, we need to get more talent, we'll pay a premium. And people are thinking, well, I haven't had a rise around here for a while. Yeah. I'm going to go and have a look. Yeah. And so that's moving the market up a bit. But I think, you know, the other thing, the other side of that, though, of not moving, you might not have had a pay rise for a bit, but you might have built your reputation in the company or organization you're in yeah. and built more personal equity for yourself. Mm. And that's all good for your career. Yeah. So I've got I've got friends, you know, been around for a bit. <laughs> I've got friends who've been in the same company pretty much all their career, mm. but they're now basically running it or senior partners yeah. and that sort of thing. And I've got other friends who've moved, mm. and and it's not obvious to me which strategy has worked out the best. Right. Um, but some have done very very well by staying put. Yeah. And, and so if you like where you work, you like the people you're working with, yeah. and you're making progress, I wouldn't recommend leaving for a small pay rise. No. But if you feel you've been overlooked, if you feel you've been overlooked, yes. I don't want to get involved with this. No, 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 but you are. So, yeah. you we'll think, record that bit and play it in the office. Yeah. But if yeah. you feel you've been overlooked or yeah. you know, your, your contribution is going unnoticed and you, you, you think yeah. you can make a better career somewhere else, then you should be out looking. Mm. So I'm obviously biased because I'm an employer. We have nearly 100 staff in the office in Peterborough. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's nice to see both sides, which is why it's great to speak to you, James. Um, I like to think if someone hasn't had a pay rise for a long time, you said open, I think, um, in some of your criteria for um, hiring staff, I like to think that they would be able to come to me and ask me rather than going to look for a job first. And I suppose that's a yeah, culture al- thing, Although you it? should also be, I mean, it's easy for us running businesses to overlook, you know, we haven't looked at everyone's pay no, recently, and this person's doing a great job just yeah, getting on with yeah, it, and, and true. You, they, they don't... You know, make a noise, and that sometimes they're the very best people in the yeah, business. And some people don't want to make a noise. No, yeah. and, and, and and I think to be fair to them and to do justice to the business as a whole, it's beholden on us to have yeah. a look every now and again. Yeah. Is everyone being fairly treated here? Yeah, but um, yeah, I think that's what we should do. And then, yeah, you know, some people will come and ask for a pay rise. Yeah, every six months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But. I think that's, Actually, I don't mind that. If, if it's justified, yeah. I mean, they're just drawing attention to the contribution they've yeah. made. And, if they can and, you know, value. and also, but if they're also able to hear a no, you're not mm, getting one yes. without going off in a half. That is also important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's you know, then it's a conversation. Yeah. It takes a long time to really get to know a company. And I've got people in my company now who, like, if I lost them, I'd have a massive gap in knowledge that I could have the best candidate on the planet, still going to take them four years to learn what that person knows. And I think, so that can work both ways. As an employer, when people have been there for a long time and they've got all that knowledge, you've got to fight to keep that and not let them go. Um, and as an employee, when you've got all that knowledge and you, you know everything so intuitively, when you leave, you've got to build all that back up again. I don't hear that talked about much. Well, my next appointment is at the Ritz Hotel in Piccadilly. 
Not oh. But what, I'll tell you what I'm doing. I'm hosting a lunch for people who've been with Reed for 10 years or more. Wow. And um, my co-host is one of our managing directors who's been with us 25 years. So I can be relaxed. He can give people drinks. Mm. But I'm really proud of the fact that we have 388 people in our business who've been with us 10 years or more. That's amazing. And some have been 20, 30 plus years. Yeah. And why um, do you think that is? Um, well, I hope because they're happy there. Yeah. But I do ask them that question at the beginning of the lunch. Mm. Uh, you know, why have you stuck around so long? And they laugh. And then they tend to say a number of things, but three stand out for me. One is the people. Yeah. They enjoy working with the people. The two is the variety. You know, we, we give people different jobs to do and mm-hmm. they get the opportunity to, to grow. And, and the third is the opportunities they've had. So, you know, often they've joined you know, as entry-level people yeah. on very, you know, been working as temps and things. And now they're on six-figure salaries. Mm. So, you know, if um, you can find that combination somewhere, that's a good reason to stay. Mm. So we try and create a culture, though, that is like an extension of the family. Yeah. And so I feel Reed is one big extended family. Mm. And everyone should feel welcome and part of it. Having said that, you know, recruitment is not easy. There'll Mm. be recruiters watching on LinkedIn, and they know that. You know, it's Mm. a bit of a Marmite profession. People either love it or hate it. Yeah. And you've got to love it to mm. stay that long. And people who hate it, why do they hate it? <clears throat> I don't know. I'm not one of them. <laughs> I genuinely don't know. I That's love a it. good answer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can you remember the best interview you've ever done or an amazing pitch or a candidate where you were just like, whoa, I need to hire you right now? <laughs> That's funny. Um, an amazing pitch. Well, when we won something um, or a candidate I thought I must hire right now. I've never felt that about Candace. I'm quite, really? I'm quite sceptical, yeah. I did once, and after the job on the spot, and she didn't take it, and then my MD said to me afterwards, you shouldn't have done that, because, right. you know, you didn't... Oh, I have yeah. offered people jobs on the spot. Oh, well, I'll, before, tell you one, I'll tell you one, which yeah. is interesting, a graduate trainee. So this is a young woman who came, applied to join... I interviewed our graduate trainees, joined our graduate programme, and she would have been in her early 20s. She'd just finished at Keele University. And, um, and, and I saw on her CV that she had some work experience. I said, how long have you been working? And she said, seven years. So that's I ring an alarm. I thought, this yeah. person's making this up. Yeah. <clears throat> and so I said, how can you possibly have been working seven years? You've just graduated. And she said that she left school, at, uh, left home rather, at 16. Wow. And lived above a chip shop while she was doing her A-levels and worked in the chip shop when she wasn't at school. And she did that for her A-levels. She got four A-levels, and they were as good as my daughter's, who'd been to a private school and not worked in a chip shop. And then she um, went to Keele University and supported herself working at Keele. She worked at the Royal Mail. She worked at nights doing sorting. And, all that, and she got a first-class degree from wow. Keele University. Yeah. So after this, I, I said, wow. I said, so why are you here? Why haven't you already got a job? Because she, she said, I've been interviewed by lots of people, and um, I've not been offered a job. And so I said, I'm going to offer you one right now. And she burst into tears. And and outside the little office I was interviewing her in was our sales floor for Read Online, all these guys on the floor. I thought, they can't see that. They think think I've done something terrible, said something awful to her. I thought, oh, no, no, I said, stop crying. Stop crying. (laughs) She did. And and we offered her a job, and she accepted it, and she's still with us, and she's outstanding. Wow. But I, I, I told that story... To a room full of, at a conference, a room full of um, entrepreneurs. And I asked them at the point, you've heard what I'd heard, how many of you would offer that person the job? Everyone put their hand up. So what that said to me is people weren't asking her the right questions. Mm. 
you know, thing, what's your degree? Or why you worked here? They weren't, they weren't finding out who she was as a person. Yeah, yeah. It was a hugely, hugely hardworking, driven, resilient human being who could help your organization, mm. but they hadn't seen that. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And how do you find that? So we, we talked earlier when we were on, I think, the Facebook Live um, about you said mindset was really important. So I'm a big fan or a big believer in um, interviews. If you ask the obvious questions, you're going to get the scripted answers that they research online. And so I like to ask questions maybe that doesn't, <laughs> don't really set them up for the answer. Like if I said, well, what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses? You They're in my it. interview book. Oh, okay. If I said, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a rude joke about strengths there, and weaknesses. Yeah. I'm sure. Is it just LinkedIn? Uh, no, no, please, please, please tell <laughs> rude <laughs> jokes. Yeah, go on. So, okay, uh, guy goes for an interview and um, he's sitting like we are and the interviewer says, what's your greatest weakness? And he says, honesty. And the interviewer goes, no, 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 no. I don't believe honesty. I don't think you can say honesty. He said, it's honesty. And he said, I don't think you can have that as an answer. I don't think you can have that as an answer. And the guy looks back and right in the eye and says, I don't give a fuck what you think. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> so, you have to edit it. No, no, we, we do not have to edit it. Don't you so, worry about that. But, but there's a lot of truth in that joke. Yeah. I mean, jokes are funny because they, they, they contain a grain of truth. Yes. Yeah, well, mm. I, uh, I respect people who would say something in an interview which they weren't too fussed about how I thought about it because then I don't feel like I'm being buttered up or manipulated well, I, I, or overly pitched. Yeah, well, I had an interview with someone recently I wanted to hire for a role and without being too specific, this individual said, I, I, I was concerned that he lived a long way away from where the job was based yeah. and that he would be unable to do it properly because of that. And he said in the interview, well, if that's a deal breaker for you, we should finish the interview now. And I thought that was really strong. Yeah. And, and I was interested in him, which is why I was probing. So we've ended up coming to an arrangement. I did hire him where he, he works flexibly from his home one day a week. But to his credit, he's always in when he needs to be yeah. re really early to be present, which I think is important in mm. the job that he's doing. And, and um, that is um, a good thing. And so we found a way of, but I, you know, I think I've always said to people, you, you don't want to be commuting too much. No, because he's just getting tired. You it's know, a killer. I talked to someone the other day. He said he, he spends an hour and a half driving into London, an hour and a half driving out. You know, that's three hours a day, and you multiply mm. that by five, that's fifteen hours a week. That's two days' work before he's done anything. Yeah. yeah. So you know, that's tiring. Well, we've seen it because in Peterborough we have the A14 that goes to Cambridge. And we've seen pe most people in Peterborough go that way to Cambridge as opposed to Cambridge people coming to Peterborough because Peterborough is a bit mm. lower on the pecking order. We've seen that journey like break people left, right and centre. So that's definitely a flag for me. If they're, go if they're doing that journey, I think in 18 months, that's just going to yeah. kill you slowly. Yeah, it's a sort of break. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Mm. So, you know, you have to try and find ways around that. Mm. You said probe and mm. mindset. So how do you probe to get the mindset of someone and look beyond the CV? Well, character's sort of everything in the end. <laughs> and, and, and it's an inexact thing, isn't it? I mean, you have to, I hope, embark on a conversation where you find out as much as you can. I mean, when you hire someone, you want to find out as much as you can. Mm. Um, but you can also look elsewhere. The thing that people most care about is integrity. But if you ask a bunch of school kids, you know, what are people looking for from you when you go for a job interview? They never come up with that. No. And how do, how do you <coughs> ask someone, have you got integrity? Because everyone's going to say yes. 
Are they? <laughs> so yeah. Well, I'm I'm <laughs> no, I don't have any integrity. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's true. Uh, so so there's a really mean question in my interview book, which I hadn't thought of because the way we source the questions for why you was asking our clients, what's your favourite interview question? And the, quite a few of them are integrity questions. Right. But the meanest is, where does your boss think you are right now? Right, yeah, that's a good one. So unless you've taken the afternoon off, if your boss thinks you're with a client or preparing some work at home for them, that's an issue. Yes, that's a really good question. It is. Yeah. Right, so we'll do quick fire. Okay. I think we've still got a couple of minutes in the bank. What's the worst interview you've ever seen? What's something happened that you were like, I can't believe I'm even in the same room as this? Uh, well, I think people have said things that have really let them down. Like? Well, you, 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 I, I think when you're, you're asking someone about their weaknesses and they see things like, I mean, this isn't terrible, but yeah. chocolate. I mean, that's crap. Isn't yeah. It? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, Come up with the better I mean, Yeah, you're not taking this process seriously. Right, yeah. So I, I don't like it when people... So, and, and, you know, I've had people come in clutching sort of half-drunk cups of coffee right. and soft drinks and things. I think, this, I think you should be taking this seriously yeah. for yourself, apart yeah. from anything else. Okay, thank you. Um, so, I, in my experience, this is a bit controversial, but I'm going to say it because my proof is this so far, but I think virtually all job candidates would lie to get a job. What do you think about that? Bad idea. But I think th- the one thing you mustn't do is lie. Yeah. Because... There's an old expression in Scotland, shite flutes. <laughs> I'll <laughs> yeah. let you translate. Yeah, but it yeah. does. You'll be found out at yeah. some point and you'll then probably get fired. You know, if you have a lie on your CV yeah. or, you made, or, you know, or you've got a lot of recovering to do. Mm. No one likes to be lied to. No one no. wants to be lied to. Don't lie. Yeah, and I suppose I was more thinking, mm. I, not so much in the jobs you've done, but, you know, why you want the job. And like you said about... Um, you know, you should be at work and the boss doesn't know. I think there's a lot of little white lies going. <laughs> well, I think you should work out why you want to be at the job before you go to the interview. I mean, if you're lying yeah. about why you want the job, you're in the wrong seat. I mean, yeah. you should be somewhere else interviewing somewhere where you do want the job. Yeah, because I'll tell you one. So I ask yourself, why the hell am I lying? If that's yeah, yeah. the question, because, you know, you're in the wrong seat. Classic I see is when we tell them, um, you know, how much variety do you like in your role? Because w- w- they get loads of variety working for us. He just chuckled there. And everyone goes, oh, I love variety. And like, you haven't worked for us. You don't know what variety is. And I've had a lot of people that say they like variety and they don't. No, but a lot of people don't like variety. No, but they, they all say they so do. So give me an example of some variety you've enjoyed. <laughs> might uh, be a good question right. to follow up on, yeah. You might get a very honest answer about that. Ah, so get them to be specific. That would be interesting, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point, yeah. So, yeah, in... Instead of taking their word for it, explore some some examples. All right, great. Um, What's more important, the CV or the attitude of the person? Well, I use the word mindset, but that's the most important. Yeah. I mean, I've done a book about CVs that explains how to present yourself and your mindset more more powerfully on paper. The CV is a life-changing document. Mm. How much time you know, do we spend preparing it? And how many life-changing documents do you actually write? True, yeah. So it's really important to yeah. do it well and have it right. Um, so a good CV is really important because it gets you through the door. Mm. It serves that purpose only, really. So they could be equally important. But then in the interview, it's about you, the person. Yeah. And that's the mindset. Mm. Okay, thank you. So we've done this new thing on our podcast. So you're about the third person who's done this. And it's called our Cheeky Round. Oh, that sounds ominous. So, yeah, it yeah. is ominous. But um, <laughs> This is where I... <laughs> <laughs> you said yeah. you'd answer anything. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> so go on. Have you ever headhunted anyone from a direct competitor? Yes. Okay. Not only that, herd hunted. 
That's herd hunted. You haven't heard that before. No, I haven't. Wow, that's a team. You took a whole team. Done that before. Wow. Okay. If you were interviewing yourself, and where might you think you were lying? I really try not to lie. I haven't told any lies in this interview. Okay. Um, Have you ever fired any staff for having sexual relationships in your companies? No. Um, <laughs> no well, no, no. I can't believe it. Nor have I, but they all seem to be doing it. No. I asked, I, uh, uh, we, we had to update our policy on this the other day because of the uh, story at McDonald's. So I'm, I'm lost. I'm, what was the story? The last lunch I had for people who have been with us for 10 years, um, the four people I sat next to had all met their life partners at Reed. Wow. So I think that's great. That and there are great. lots of Reed babies out there. Yeah. People fall in love at work. Babies. I think that's great. I think it's great. And, and I don't have a problem with that at all. Uh, where it becomes problematic is if there's management relationships involved. And I don't think the chief executive or senior management should be doing that at all. And if there are relationships that become sort of you know, ongoing, they should probably be declared to someone. Yeah. So, because otherwise it opens you up to charges of unfairness mm. or favoritism, and, and, yeah. and that damages the culture of the company. Good. There you go. Mark mm. wants us in the contract that my business partner, no staff can. Well, that's what, that's what they had at McDonald's. Yeah, they said there should be no um, relations of that sort between managers and workers. And, and it ended up with the chief executive having to leave because he had a relationship with someone else in the business. This was in the news right, recently. Yeah. Um, and that was a that was a big call because he'd been a very successful chief yeah. executive for McDonald's. So mm. it was a subject of some debate yeah. and interest. But I think, you know, if, if you're running a company, you can't do that. Yeah. It, you, you can't be seen yeah. as running it fairly if you're doing that. Mm. Okay. Best advice you've ever received, soundbite? I'll be nice to people. Yeah. <laughs> and also try and have an idea every day. Love it. Worst mm. advice you've ever received? Uh, uh, to not do things that I've ignored and, and they've turned out quite well. Yeah. <laughs> I've always been told, I'll oh, be more careful, don't do that, or it won't succeed. Yeah. Often they're right, but you know, the, the, the comfort of a pessimist is being proved correct, but yeah. it's nothing better than proving them wrong. Amen. Um, what one piece of advice would you give your strongest competitor? This is a new question. <laughs> I'm trying to think who that is. Yeah. <laughs> or the worst <laughs> advice. Yeah. No, I, I went to Lima in Peru earlier this year, and Lima is a Extraordinary city, big, second biggest city in South America. And they tell me it doesn't rain in Lima. Oh, this is interesting. So I asked this guy, when did it last rain in Lima? And uh, they said 14 years ago. The desert. And I said, why on earth did the Spanish build the uh, city here? It never rains. He said, the Incas told them to. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't think they had their best interests at all. No. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so, so what you're saying is you'd give your competitors some... I think I'll stay on yeah, 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 I love it. <laughs> so, uh, is there one thing wrong with the world that you'd like to change? Oh, there are lots of things that I'd like to... I, don't, I love the world and, and, and we're all lucky to be alive on it. Um, but I think there are lots of things we can improve about the world and we're always looking for continuous improvement. And, and if there's and one thing you'd fight to a cause? Well, I really care about the climate and, and you know, the natural world. And I think we should all be trying to do things to improve our you know, yeah. footprint, mm. if that's the right word. Yeah. And, and, and Reed has actually been carbon neutral since 2005. Wow. So we got a lump, sent a lump of wood. We're a carbon neutral company. And, and um, that was suggested to me by a client, actually. They said, we're thinking of becoming carbon neutral. We just went off and did it. Mm. And, and I'm really pleased we do that. But I'd like to do more than that. Mm. 
Okay, so we've got two more. Um, if there's one person that you think is amazing that we should interview on our podcast, who would that be? Oh, like, my, my dad. Yeah? You probably had enough of Reed. Um, maybe not. <laughs> no, you... Good idea, good call. Good call. All right. So, Alec, if you're watching, good call. <laughs> I would. Um, I mean, he's, you'd yeah. find him interesting. Okay, great. Uh, and then this podcast has the word disruptive in the title, disruptive entrepreneur. What does the word disruptive mean to you? Yeah, I'm not sure it's positive. Yeah. <laughs> Which might, might I better get rid of all my teachers. <laughs> I'm not sure it's possible. Because I think, you know, sometimes this disruption, I was asking myself the question about the internet, good or bad, the other day. And I've always been a big advocate for it. It's transformed our business. Mm. But there are a lot of negatives that are coming out of the disruption that's going on at yeah. the moment. So it's become more ambivalent to me, you know, disruption, good or bad. Is there and, not and I, think, I think we should think carefully about, you know, the social side of, you know, social media, you know, how, how it affects people's lives. Mm. You know, and there's a lot of sort of mental illness at work. There's a lot of people struggling for reasons that would have surprised people 30 years ago. Mm. You think, why is that? Yeah. So, so I think we as entrepreneurs have a duty to think about that mm. and maybe come up with some new ideas to help yeah. address that. Mm. So, I, yeah, I love change. I, I, I love the, the challenge of improving things. But disruption without moderation or unmoderated disruption can yeah. be harmful. Yeah. Okay. We have your new book here. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Can we, um, Thank you for mentioning we, it. Yes, all right. Can, we, yeah, can <laughs> you tell us book. about it? Yeah. yeah, well, this is the third in, in my, what I call my, rather pompously, my careers trilogy. <laughs> yeah. So the, the, the first book was, was, is about CVs. So I mentioned, you know, life-changing documents. And what's that called? That's called the seven-second CV. So okay. how to prepare your CV, really just to get you in front of the people you want to be talking to, get your interview. Yeah. The second book is called Why You? 101 Interview Questions You'll Never Fear Again. And that is about helping you be successful in the interview. Yeah. And this, the third book in the series, is based on a talk I've been giving for a number of years to young people, students, um, about how to get your career off to a flying start. Mm. And so it's um, called Life's Work. Yeah, and these are 12 proven ways. I've done the talk so long, I've, I've now become confident enough to call them proven ways yeah. to fast-track your career. And there's nothing in this book that anyone at any stage in life can't do. Mm. So they're as simple as being selfish, but we haven't got to time to discuss the details of that, yeah. or, 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 or playing poo sticks or asking for help. But they're all simple things. And, 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 and I would urge people to have a look at it mm. because these, these thoughts I've, I've observed along the way. Yeah. This wasn't at business school or at college. Mm. I've observed along the way uh, have really helped me and lots of other entrepreneurs Great. Uh, will it make be on, progress. Will it be on Audible as well as Amazon? Yeah, it's, it, if you want to hear more from me personally, <laughs> I recorded it. Yeah. And my wife said, nice work for someone who likes the sound of his own voice. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and it's also available on Kindle and on Amazon from I think it's the 9th of January 2020, yeah, which will be after this goes live anyway. Yeah. yeah. Great. So and and you know it's not very long. It's a nice big print. Yeah. Which helps people. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so I hope you like it. Do you do yeah. any social media and any channels where people can follow you? Um, I'm on Twitter. Yeah. And on LinkedIn. And what are your handles so people can find you? I think uh, James underscore A underscore Reed yeah. is my Twitter handle. And on LinkedIn, you just search James Reed Reading. Yeah, yeah finally. Thank you very much, James. Thank Been you, Rob. Oh, enjoyed talking you. to you. Thanks for I think we've done the right time. Done, I'm not well. too late, am I? This runs, this runs late, this watch, okay. so you're all right. Thank you very yeah. much. Thank you. <laughs> okay, thank you.